Hello guys, and welcome to episode 5 of Low Key. Tonight we have a very special guest from Andalini's Pizzeria, the owner, Mike Bausch. Um, if you'd like to support Low Key in any way, go to Instagram, go to Facebook, and go press that like button or follow us on Insta. And if you want to become a patron and go check out our media or anything like that, go check us out at www.lowkeypodcast.squarespace.com because that's where you'll get all our media, our bios, and that's our website. So very excited for this episode. A lot of content to enjoy. Mike Bausch, so excited to talk pizza and business and just how they started up. It's a really exciting episode, really cool story. So get ready to listen. It's nice, it's easy, it's low key. Let's get this started. Hey guys, and welcome to the Low Key Podcast. I'm here with a special guest um, from Andalini's Pizza, the owner of Andalini's, Mr. Mike Bausch. Bausch. Um, so, um, can you tell us and describe a little bit what Andalini's is? Sure thing. Andalini's is our unique taste take on Italian classics. So, if you're used to getting. Uh, you know, regular garlic knots, we do them differently. We do them in a bowl. If uh, eggplant parmesan, we do as an appetizer rather than an entree. A lot of different spins on things. And, and the big thing that makes the brand separate out is that it's made from scratch or as much from scratch as we can humanly possibly do. So instead of buying cheese already cut, we're making cheese. Instead of buying dough, we're making it, which is kind of the price of entry for a lot of pizza places that would say that they're that they're above the fray, but we also, instead of buying sausage already pre-done, we're, we're making and casing our own sausage, all of our salad dressings, uh, our baguettes. We, we make from absolute scratch so many things that that's separated out and made us who we are, along with doing our spin on things. And we got better and better at that since 2005 and made it our mission to make as many things from absolute scratch as possible. So when people say it's something local, it's not, it doesn't get much more local than us making it right now if we had bought from a, a sausage place that you know makes fresh local sausage that would still be more steps than what we do where we make it just in our kitchen uh in addition to that stg specialty and tradition guaranteed especially latte traditionale garantita is our sister brand that is exactly what you would get in naples the same equipment same uh fork and knife, same materials, and then the same exact process. So the gelato is made with Carpeggiani machines, which are the exact same machines that you would see if you were in Rome. Same process you would see if you were in Naples for our pizza. We don't cut our pizza just like you wouldn't get it in Naples. Same fork and knife, the whole shebang. So Andalini's unique take on Italian classics, our spin on them. Some things are homages, like our DeMarco of Brooklyn is pretty much exactly what how Dom DeMarco on Avenue J in Brooklyn makes it while 
uh, you know, we, we do spins on things that are just different and eclectic. Nice. Um, do you, do you, uh, do you mind like just, uh, telling us the, a summary, uh, just a quick summary of like what, what it looks like day to day for you. Sure. Um, and then, and then what the different operations Jim does, your brother, cause he's co-owner, owner. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we both are owners and we both do a lot of work on my, in our, in our setup, you know, a week is a routine, not a day. So my Monday is a far cry for my Sunday. Uh, but you know, now that I'm 12 years into this, it's a lot more meetings and setting up stuff and growth, but I like to keep it blue collar. So at Friday nights going to every single location and trying to throw out dough and make pizza with my staff, uh, as an owner, I've learned a lesson not to have my staff depend on me for a shift because I've two different sites that were, Oh, we need Mike to throw out dough. I would be in a bad spot or the stores would be in a bad spot, but I make, I like to help out, you know, and, and cause I like to keep it blue collar. My Thursdays are just packed with meetings and, you know, meeting with my brother, meeting with my GMs. Other days of the week, we have management training meetings or MTMs where it's just one store where a GM is meeting with their top guys and I'll go in and be at that meeting as well. Uh, so my, my uh, date book fills up pretty quickly with things, but I always like to say yes and keep things moving forward. And whether it's white collar stuff like what's our new HR protocols or food stuff like having a food meeting about all the new ideas that we want to do. Everything we do between my GMs and my brother is pushing things to the next level. My main role is is marketing and being, you know, the driving force in the face of the company in terms of the marketing and the operations and the tech side of things. My brother does more finance oriented stuff and and behind the scenes type things with payroll and you know he's very culinary acute as well so we both look at when it comes to the food i i have a college level degree in in pizza making he's the one who took courses on gelato making i compete internationally in in pizza contests and i went to parma this year competed in three different contests i didn't know they had contests oh it's big time stuff like in <laughs> vegas vegas there's contests every year i speak at pizza expo in, in vegas and as of this year, I'm not allowed to compete anymore, but I've been competing there since 2009. Uh, but then 700 different pizza makers across the world compete in Parma, Italy every year in April. It's only a few weeks after the Vegas Pizza Expo. So that's a, a lot of effort and it's very arduous and very time consuming to, to learn how to make pizza without a kitchen. Uh, <laughs> you know, learning how to turn your hotel room into a kitchen. It's made me a better pizza maker. It's made me a better <laughs> owner. It's pretty hardcore, though, because the Italians are only validated by us being there. But So they want Americans to be there, but they don't want Americans to win. Put it that way. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, can, you, can you tell us, like, the, the, the start of your family lineage to where, where you were, your family was in Italy, to, to now getting here um, in Tulsa? Sure. My, my great-grandfather, uh, Giuseppe Carlucci, came to America in 1901, born in 1874, and lived in lower west side of Manhattan. Um, my, my mother and father were born and raised in lower west side in Chelsea, which is right above the Meatpacking District. Uh, 
and they lived there till they were 20. My dad became a, a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps, not a, on his onset. He, he went into the Marines voluntarily as an officer in 1965. And he did that because he wanted to establish a life for his, he just got married, just had a kid, volunteered basically to go to Vietnam uh, and fought as an officer. As an officer, that means that you have a college education and you're in, you're, you lead Marines uh, and you go to Quantico, Virginia. I went to Quantico, Virginia, wanted to be an officer like my dad in 2002. And right when I got done with all the training, I had like wasted away down to 135 pounds because I didn't know I was a type one juvenile diabetic. And it's because of diabetes that we have Andalinis because otherwise I would still be in the Marine Corps probably. My brother was in the Marines. My nephew was uh, did two tours in Iraq. My dad obviously um, cultivated the way the Marine Corps runs and operates between 1965 and 1987 when he retired. But when he retired, I was a pretty young still. We had moved out to San Francisco, Bay Area, uh, in a town called Benicia, and he worked in Vallejo. And then he got transferred to Newark, New Jersey, the theft and crime capital of America at the time, to basically make Alamorenta cars worst location, worst location, uh, not be the worst anymore. And he set up all new protocols and everything and, and revitalized the way uh, rent-a-car works and it's it would be small things now that seem obvious but back in like the early 90s people used to have the bumper sticker of the of the rental car on the back of the rental car so a big alamo rent-a-car bumper sticker and the first thing he did was get that off that car it's basically an announcement to every carjacker on in new jersey hey uh i'm an outsider i have no idea what i'm doing that would steal from me <laughs> so things like that my my dad very street smart but very good with people Everyone liked following him and uh, and learned a lot from him about business and how to how to be a leader and how to cultivate what you're all about and without knowing it that's benefited me greatly in uh, in this business which I started six months out of college I, I got out of college was planning on going to law school and my brother who got a job got a job as a rental agent which is like the guy who just gives you your keys at the counter for Alan rent a car once he got out of the Marine Corps. I turned that into becoming my dad's boss, technically. He became vice president of the company. Uh, and my dad was just really good at the city level, but my brother was very good at numbers and seeing the big picture of how what's called in the rental car industry fleet. So by the time my brother was in his late 30s, he, uh, he had done a lot for Alamo and got a, a bonus to move to Tulsa, Oklahoma, or by technically Owasso from Fort Lauderdale where the base of operations for Alamo was. Alamo moved their base of operations with National Rent-A-Car when they became combined. And uh, Kathy Taylor's husband, who, former mayor of Tulsa, Kathy Taylor, Bill Lobeck was in charge of Alamo. Uh, big reason for that move. And then they, you know, 10,000 people moved into Owasso, be it from Capital One, Verizon, Alamo, and National Rent-A-Car in 2004. Mm -hmm. And my brother saw like a line of, I, he said, you got to come out here. There's a line of like 30 people waiting to go into a Chili's on a, on a Tuesday. This is insane. There, you know, maybe we should do a family business, which I had never really conceived of, but I had worked restaurants to pay for college, worked a lot of jobs to pay for college. And, uh, I didn't know I was getting my education there. So came out here, saw it, decided I didn't want to be a lawyer. I had planned to go into law school and be a JAG lawyer in the Marines, but now the Marine Corps wasn't paying for that. I genuinely, I went to my law school, 
felt completely um, uninspired by the orientation and just said, yeah, I'm just going to defer it and see what I can build out in, in uh, this town called Owasso and started a 1,500-square-foot pizza restaurant out of nowhere, and, uh, and it opened January 8, 2005. Wow, nice. So uh, out of all the cities you've been to and all the places, why, why, start a, um, why start a pizzeria in Tulsa? Well, it was, you know, as we were looking at the scene in Owasso at the time, in Owasso, there was no pizza restaurant that was, there was Mazio's. That's all there was in Owasso. And something I knew, you know, what our family knows. I know pizza. I also know a good, a good bit about German cooking. Wow. You know, we didn't, what we were thinking, what were we do like an Italian market, an Italian deli. It's hard to get all those connections to, to be able to sell like what Whole Foods now does sell, you know, rare Italian foods and but that was, so I, I figured at some point that wouldn't last. And then like a German beer hall, basically what, what Fassler Hall became, I didn't think Owasso, it was really hard to get a liquor license in Owasso at the time, to, like a beer, a bar license rather, because it was like 100 feet from a school or church. And if you've ever been to Owasso, you can't throw a rock without hitting a school or a church. So, <laughs> so we said, let's do a pizzeria. And I had worked pizza places, my brother had. We knew a good bit, but our knowledge of the restaurant industry was so laughably stupid that I would never recommend anyone. When people are like, oh, I'll just open a restaurant. You know, I know how to make a really great steak. It's just like, do you want to, if you want to blow away all your savings and please do that. But there's, <laughs> there's no, you got to know so much about marketing, so much about HR. The thing was, I had just got out of the Marine Corps only a few years earlier and had put my body through the ringer as a type one diabetic. I made it through officer candidate school and kind of figured if I could make it through that, I could do anything. So getting up at seven, going to bed at midnight, the, the blood and sweat equity that I had to put in was something I wasn't afraid of doing. It was very arduous. It was very hard. But a lot of this industry, restaurant industry, is building systems. And I like that. It's, it's something that I enjoy. Like, oh, if I teach it this way and ensure that it gets done with X, Y, and Z, I can make sure, I could see that it gets done. Hmm. And doing that, I enjoyed. And the and learning marketing, which I didn't know anything about marketing. I have a political science degree, not a marketing degree. <laughs> but uh, the political science degree probably helped me more than if I had a marketing or communications degree because it, uh, the poli-sci, you know, learning about Plato, learning about Socrates, learning about how a mind works, how, how people interact and, and all that philosophy on life put into perspective how people interact with people because this is a people industry more than anything else. It's about... You know, what What does a 16-year-old aspire to be if they're going to work for you in a pizza restaurant? Hmm. If I can understand that, following a great recipe or, or cultivating a better recipe on what I have isn't that hard. And a lot of what takes down restaurants is ego. Ego that I'm the best. There's no one who's better than me. And that's, that's the same as saying, I don't want to be better. And if you say that and you're in love with your ego, if you're, if you're in love with yourself, you're already dead in the water. Yeah. Very, very typical of the restaurant industry. Wow. Yeah, um, that's really cool. Was it? Was it? Was it? In in your journey and processing of this, you said you 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 had to deal with diabetes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, was it difficult starting your business with? I mean, I, I I would I would imagine it would be, but what, was it was it pretty difficult like dealing with that and then starting it up? Well, being a, a type one diabetic is just something I live with. It's just like the pain in the ass of brushing your teeth. You know, it's like 
but if you had to deal with it seven times a day. It's kind of like that. It's not it's not debilitating. I've never let it be like, hi, I'm Mike and I'm a diabetic. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's it's a side it's something that I have to take seriously and probably need to take it more seriously than I do. But the biggest challenge is in opening a restaurant, you know, being with family, having, you know, what's our new dynamic as a brother, uh, other family members with the dynamic there. And then being 22, you you know, respect is earned. I've never said to someone, you need to respect me. It's an instant way to have someone not respect you. But yeah. you have people that are 18 working for you. They're like, I've worked in more restaurants than you have, when, and I'm 22. I had to, you know, earn my stripes and learn what to do and how to deal with different situations. And people that didn't live off this. It's also really hard in the Wasso. So many new restaurants came in, like 36 restaurants came in in the course of a year and a half that were all willing to spend, you know, two bucks more an hour on minimum wage employees than I was to people who have never worked a job before. So a kid would come in and be like, well, how much are you going to pay me? Like, well, you've never had a job before. I'll let, you know, we'll start you off at $8 an hour, which was way above minimum wage. You're like, well, Steak and Shake's willing to give me 10. I'm like, you've never had a job. You're negotiating? Yeah. I, I, and, and like kids that didn't even do good in the interview, mind you, that we were, <laughs> that were pulling for it. So I had to learn how to, my biggest thing was to get type A personality kids, because that's all you can get in Owasso, at least at the time, was kids. Type A in the making kids who, and I would go out of my way to make sure their schedule was fine, that if they had academic decathlon, they would be fine. They could get it off, that I knew their parents, that their parents knew it wasn't like a drug-infested uh, work environment. And that's how I survived that when, a lo- when 36 restaurants opened and around 32 closed mm-hmm. in the course of 18 months. So Owasso, I, after I learned how to hang in Owasso, opening in Tulsa was like kind of easy. And we hit it right off the gate and people were like, oh, where have you been? You or this new restaurant. Like I've been, I know how to do this. I've been doing it for five and a half years in this other town that you will never go to because it's like the redheaded stepchild of, of Tulsa to, to make the 10 minute drive north to Owasso <laughs> is, is something that most people won't do. But people in Owasso, they won't put up with it unless it's really good, affordable and fast and the service is great. So when companies from Dallas come up to Tulsa and they, and they have like 20 stores in, in Dallas, but they can barely get one off the ground in Tulsa. It tells you that Tulsa's a hard market, um, and Owasso's even harder than Tulsa. Wow, that's crazy. I haven't even thought of that. <laughs> uh, for, for you, like, was, was there any like difficulties or tension that came your way as a young bi- business, like building the business and stuff? What are some difficulties that came your way or um, just tensions that you had to face? There's a lot of, first off, when you don't have a system, like no one gives you, hey, here's how to run all HR. Here's when to fire someone. Here's here's the fence. And then when you're around people because you only have like 17 people on your staff and you care about them and then they do stupid stuff and you're put in a position like, I really don't want to fire this person. I like them. I know they're having trouble at home, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, I'm a nice guy, and and you got taken advantage of a lot. We we got taken advantage of by our food purveyor, who was like coming in and and wanted to be really close with us and say, hey, you know, we're here to help you out. But then would, I realized when I started doing price evaluations that they were gouging us, and I don't mean extra ten cents here or there. I mean chemicals that should cost uh, fifty bucks a gallon. We were being charged hundred and thirty bucks a gallon. Dang. 
Wow. And I, when I figured out, because it's not a chemical that you just see on the shelf at, at the supermarket. When I saw it, it's like, a, you know, it's a specialized chemical. But then I had other food companies that, let's just price you out on stuff. And if it was like five bucks less, I would have been like, okay, this guy's just undercutting him. But I saw that and I go back to the, the first purveyor and, and they're like, well, what do you want from me? I got to feed my kids. So I'm like, I'm, obs- I'm you're leeching off me. There's a lot of leeches when you open up, especially when I'm 22. They're like, oh, I can, I can totally take advantage of this kid. And when people thought that they could do that, I had to you know, stand up for myself and put it in their place. Though that was also like just stupid other stuff that were a small business. Again, I'm around these kids all day. So they would come and my brother was wanted us to be not corporate. Hmm. And I still don't want us to be super corporate either, but the complete opposite because he hated the corporate crappiness of his work environment. Nothing against Alamo as a company, but you know, being in a corporate environment kind of is soul sucking. So you know, if a kid's like, hey, I'm going to swing by your house and pick up my check. Do you have it there? Like, we have the staff coming by our house. There was there was no shelter in the first few years. <laughs> and I was I was inundated with the business all day. And then, like, it'd be 1130 at night. So we'll ring the doorbell to come get their check. It was just nonstop. And mm-hmm. then we started building boundaries and getting normal on stuff. And, and you just build. And this year has been a big part of I want to be able to have the same standards and the same thing happen at each store. So going back through all the recipes and there's you know one pizza if it's in 14 16 and 20 inches that's three different recipes for one topping of one pizza so going back through all of it is a lot and this year instead of just saying oh there's 20 pepperonis on a pizza it's on the outer layer there's you know 11 on the center layer there's eight on the 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 last in the center is one pepperoni so that level of specificity with photos of each one. So the experience of Broken Arrow is the same as the experience in Tulsa. Mm. That's what we're trying to get to now. And not I don't want to lose the soul of the restaurant, but I also want a customer to have the same experience at each store. And that's a big part of the growing pains that we're in now. I think we're getting there. I think we're, we're wrapping up to the point that we're going to be in a really nice spot. As we just announced Jenks last weekend, we're going to open up our Jenks location wow. next year. That's cool. It is cool. But there's a lot that goes into it, and I try and not stay in the office all day. I try and know my staff and that they know me and that we have fun things. Even planning, here's a good example of like, it took a lot of planning for something I did last month, which was their Andalini's Olympics. It was all the stores against all the stores. All the competitions that I see in Vegas, so we had like fastest box fold, fastest dough thrower, best acrobatic dough throwing in the air, front of house, fastest roll up, fastest uh, uh, walking with a tray of, of cups. And then, you know, Andalini's history trivia and whoever, like STG versus Broken Arrow versus Owasso versus Tulsa. Um, and Tulsa won the title belt and they get to display that in their store, which is downstairs from us right now. Yeah, they I saw won. that. Yeah, so, <laughs> I saw that and asked one of your, one of your, um, one of your guys um, what that title belt meant and he told me that, yeah. So, but getting that together, having a DJ, having, beers for our 21 and up staff members having the questions all that kind of stuff takes effort and time and i don't it's i don't like to outsource stuff that's that i want to go off without a hitch uh other things i'm getting better at outsourcing now but especially in our first year we didn't out very much this restaurant was what i call uh w diy you know do it yourself or we can do that yeah. We we see we can do that mentality. So again, like 
most restaurants will have a grease trap guy come out and grease is just like the stuff that your dish machine doesn't push through like if you had a lot of olive oil it goes into a, a, a big tank and it doesn't go into the septic system it's a nasty job it sucks and it costs a hundred bucks when they come and suck it out but i watched a guy do it and i realized it was just basically an, an inflated shop vac sucking the stuff out and i was losing a hundred bucks every time so i was like okay well i can get dirty and started doing that myself all the graphic design when we were having someone else do it was like uh, i get my bill back for a new menu and i was at three thousand bucks i ain't i couldn't even pay myself half that so yeah. why am i gonna so you know buying the book on on indesign and learning all that that's what it takes to open and run a business is all the stuff besides the food uh -huh. building you know hey here's how your first day goes a lot of people underestimate how important training is not just that a training is effective but a person feels safe and secure that you give a crap about them that hey welcome to this job here's your shirts here's your paperwork day of not oh you're new okay go uh, go clean the crapper that's the first thing they're told to do <laughs> like a, okay and here's the history of the restaurant here's why we believe this and here's this but then not so corporate that it's like what you would get at a at a place that's obviously the owner has never even been to that location and it's we at blank blank international believe that it's important that our customers care about our you know blah 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 bs 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 so walking that fine line between like we actually care about the food you will actually know us as owners please uh care about this place as well and you'll always have a home wow the fine line that's what my job is finding that fine line on a constant basis that's awesome yeah that's great because like i think for for the jobs i've worked for multiple times and it, it, it was difficult because like a lot of the a lot of the owners didn't want to meet really and have the personality to meet their staff and stuff and the, those companies suck and now I work for a company right now which I won't name them that that's fantastic um, so well if they're fantastic why don't you want to name them I just I okay <laughs> I feel weird about like naming that's fine that... well but it is you know most, <laughs> if, if anyone listening you know you think back either I went on a job where they did didn't have their act together and I didn't know you know you didn't know if the place was going to stay open or there was stuff that shouldn't be going down that was going down that's what most jobs fall into or the opposite it was so corporatized that it was soul-sucking and I hated every second of my day and I don't want to be either of those Mm -hmm. I want to have the best parts of both. I want to be organized, but still have heart. And that's what we're uh, aspiring to do. Yeah, that's awesome. So what, uh, what, what, what made you think like pizza is what I'm going to do? Why, why, why do you love pizza? Like why was this the chosen instead of any other product? I really do love pizza and I always have, but I mean, that's not a grandiose concept. A lot of people love pizza. Yeah. The, <laughs> I, I was, a, you know, as a kid, my dad would take me to cool pizza places around uh, New Jersey and New York, and I, I enjoyed it. I had an affinity for it. When I went back to California, I missed it. And then when it became time, like, hey, let's open a business, I had worked at a pizza place. I kind of had an idea. I worked at a really high-end steak restaurant akin to, like, a mahogany here and learned a lot about the upper end of running a restaurant, like, you know, how to tend to customers. So I wanted to put that level of, of customer appreciation, but with an over, under promise and over deliver with the product. So a pizzeria in New York, it's like a place that's an Italian restaurant that also serves pizza, as opposed to, a, you know, it's not Andalini's Pizza, it's Andalini's Pizzeria, which connotates that we're a full-blown restaurant. 
Now, when we first opened, we didn't think anyone would get that, so we called ourselves Andalini's Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant, and we were able to finally, like, drop that. But on some tax documents, it will still say that. Uh, we also were, you know, finding our footing in our first year. Like, we were going to make pizza, but what else were we going to do? And we were given by, you know, a lot of food companies, hey, use this frozen ravioli or use that. And they tasted good, and we needed some pastas, so we were selling them. But I went to a food show and saw a lot of other guys, well, they, the same frozen ravioli, and I see, like, people from Oklahoma City, oh, I'm going to buy that too. And I was like, well, if you could sell it to us and them, then what are we if not just a chain of, we're a chain of independents selling the same stuff. It, and I saw, and that's what I decided I wanted to make as much scratch as possible and never, and got rid of a freezer uh, and became, went away from that in the sense that if someone else, you know, if anyone could buy McNuggets, then they wouldn't be McNuggets. They would just be nuggets at that point. <laughs> so they're not special if anyone could buy them. Not that McNuggets are special, but you get that it's a brand. It's a branded to that one company idea. So that's what I wanted for us. I wanted the simple things that I wanted and what I thought about pizza. My mind really went to. I didn't know a lot about pizza. Is really the point. I knew enough to make the best pizza in Owasso at the time which wasn't a big accomplishment. I didn't like that I didn't know a lot about it. It's like when, you know, your your oil light comes on and, and people are like, I don't, or maintenance required, not oil light, but you, and people bang their engine or, well, I'll just change this or change that and have no idea what's wrong with the car. I don't like not knowing what's going on. So I went and got a college level uh, education at pizza from, because Italians do courses in pizza in Italy. And a guy who's come to be my mentor named Tony Gemignani went and took that course in Italy and flew out himself and an Italian translator, then convinced them to fly out and teach him how to be an instructor. And in the class where they instructed us in Italian with a translator, I was in that class. And now he teaches the class in San Francisco, but it's just him. I was in the first class where it was the Italians teaching it and got that authentic experience. And I learned so much more about what this business, not the business side of it, but the food side, why dough does what when it does not just magic water or just buy the most expensive flour that helps but yeah. when you integrate why does temperature the uh, the humidity the protein content what type of pizza how long it should bake at what temperature why when it's burning why is it burning when it's undercooking why it's undercooking things of that nature I, I i basically got that course that taught me so much more and most chefs only do a half a day in pizza at best in a culinary school, at like a nine month culinary school. This was like a full course just on pizza. Wow. So I learned, that's why, you know, you'll see a high end celebrity chef, they'll make some amazing demi glaze with something cool on top, but the dough will be not nothing to write home about because they don't know enough about uh, bread in terms of pizza, which is completely different than regular baking, mm-hmm. you know, than bagel making, than uh, than rye bread making. They're all different fundamentals and knowing a lot about pizza fundamentals is essential to being a great pizzaiolo or pizza maker. So once we had that and I knew a lot about pizza and I then said, okay, here's exactly how I do it. I wrote down all the systems, changed the recipes of the, of the dough, verified that my staff was making my exact recipe. Then we were off to the races and then they invited me to go on these competitions to Vegas and Italy as a part of the American team of the world's pizza champions. Uh, I became good friends with Tony, learned more about the business, and then went on to 
try and become, I wanted our pizza to stand up if I opened a place in New York or the heart of LA or the heart of San Francisco. That was my goal. And I do believe that we could go toe to toe with our product. Hmm. But when I'm competing, I'm usually competing against, my brother's making food to, to compete against me and I'm making food to, to outdo our own expectations. We don't do things to try and beat the guy down the block. We do it to say, hey, is this something that would be on a world stage? Is this something that if we walked in anywhere in the world, not just America, that would be, oh, wow, this is great. And that's what our driving force is. Wow, that's really cool. That's really awesome. Um, what, what, a, what is your personal favorite pizza? Uh, it depends on the day, but I, I love I love a lot of pizzas. The, the DeMarco of Brooklyn is very special because it's the end-all, be-all of a cheese pizza. It's, and I grew up watching Dom DeMarco make pizza in Brooklyn, so I wanted to do that. I love how the cheese on the crust kind of melts into the crust. I love that it's a cheese that we make from absolute scratch. I love that our olive oil is one of the best olive oils. You, you can't even buy an olive oil of that quality at even a Whole Foods. It's so... It's so proprietarily awesome. Uh, the tomatoes that we get are San Marzano tomatoes, real San Marzano tomatoes that I know the family that makes them, so I know that they're not actually Chinese tomatoes mm-hmm. being sold by the mafia from Naples and all the stuff that goes into tomatoes, <laughs> that it, dirty, dirty tomato fraud that actually occurs on a constant basis. I didn't know uh, that. And, and the Pecorino Romano that goes on top of it, that it, it's a perfect balance. It's a perfect pizza. But then our porchetta pizza, which is a slow-roasted pork, I don't have to add anything to it. So porchetta and then cheese, and it's done. And it's absolutely amazing. Um, I love that pizza. And most people go to the combo or the Tembissimo all-meat pizza. Oh, yeah. But I, my whole thing, like, if I go to a, even a Mexican restaurant, I'll just get a bean, cheese, and rice burrito. Because if you can't get that right, I'm not, I'm not moving on. I'm, you know, I'm yeah. not watching Godfather 3 first. I'm going to start with the first one. <laughs> Good, good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you guys um, had a couple shops, like you have a couple shops yeah. now currently. But before that, you you had a couple shops, and then you created SGTGs. Why? Mm-hmm. Why did? Why did you, in the midst of you already having like all these other shops, why did you create STGs? It's probably a little bit masochistic, but here's here's what it came down to. So the so we open up a Wasso 2005 January. 8th. It, no bank wants to do any business with us. Also, we're a restaurant that we we did the right things, but you know, on paper, we're not amazing. Uh, by 2009, we're really trying to get on Brookside. Actually, we had to like pay to get architectural renderings of what became Wolfgang Pucks and then became Hot Buns, and we spent all this money. And they're like, "Yeah, no, we don't want to do business with you," which is. I paid like $5,000, which was a whole lifetime of money to me at the time. And then they don't even call back. So we're just desperate to get to Tulsa. And then the building that Cherry Street is in was, people think that this brick building has been there for the last 100 years. The fact is that the back wall has, but we tore everything else down and kept the back wall. So it was technically a retrofitting. So we didn't have to get all new bit like building permits it was just a retrofitting permit Hmm. and we built it ourselves what should be a two million dollar build out was a half a million dollar build out that we got a one bank to believe in us after every other bank in Tulsa said no and that was security bank on 51st which is a family-run bank 
And they're making a lot of money off us now because they were the smart ones to say yes to us. And when Wolfgang Pucks went out, I don't look, I don't take favor in anyone's failure, but, you know, no one wanted to give us a chance. And we, we did our, put it this way, everyone we know gets paid. So we did our due diligence correctly. After that, we're on a roll. We hit like, you know, it's hard to put it in perspective because when I was in Owasso, just Owasso, it was a family restaurant. It still is. People came. It's nice. When I opened on Tulsa, on Cherry Street, I saw two people. I saw a girl that was dressed up walking to the restaurant. Now that sounds, why would you mention that? Well, because no one had ever done that at my restaurant before. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they, who's that? Why is she dressed up? <laughs> oh, crap, she's dressed up to come here. Oh, crap, there's a line. And people are like, oh, you such a line. I'm like, I didn't mean to make it a line. I never knew we, people would like us. I thought we'd fill up the restaurant, you know, a yeah. few nights a week. But we are, we went like gangbusters and line out the door. There's no back door to Andalini's Cherry Street. There's a side door. There's everything you see when you walk in, you can see all the way to the disc station. That is the whole restaurant. Wow. That is it. So it was, it was on a hope, women, a prayer. It practically killed us building it because, you know, we're here every night till like two in the morning. We're building it, um, just killing ourselves and running the other restaurants simultaneously. Money's running out. Is this thing even gonna matter? Who even knows what we are? And then it hit, and it hit hard. And then uh, where people were saying like, "Oh, open in this town, open here, open here." Well, we couldn't justify that, but we could get a loan to get the truck, uh, and we got a food truck in at December of 2012. So now we're all over town, and the space of Andalise Cherry Street. At this point, I've gone to Italy like three times and competed and seen this Napolitana or Naples-style pizza, and I love it. I absolutely love it. And there's nowhere within like 300, well, I think there's one place in Dallas and then the next closest place is like all the way in San Francisco who does that style. Hmm. I know the people who can get us the the right Stefano Ferrara oven. I know how to, I can get, I know the importers to get the right flour. I know all the right people finally. And then I'm like, I don't have any space at Cherry Street to do this. Yeah. And if we did do it, we'd kind of be cannibalizing our own sales. And I really want to be a part of the downtown scene, but it seemed redundant to have another Andalini's that close. So then a spot was coming up to be available and it was a small space. And I'm like, what if we just did Napolitana style pizza here? Mm-hmm. And uh, well, if we do just Napolitana, how can we call it Andalini's? Like it's a completely separate thing. Yeah. It's done by us. So people walked in like the first week, like, oh, I'll have a slice. We're like, it's actually not slices. It's whole pizzas done Naples style. And so we're like, okay, well just give me your all meat. Like we have meat pizza. We make our own Calabrian sausage. We, but we don't do, you know, this isn't Andalini's. And some people, totally were like i'm not i don't get this and other people were like oh my god this is amazing because when i first had that style of pizza where it's seared at 950 degrees it's it's a lot like steak in the sense that you have a fine grade of flour and the way we look at steak is the way italians look at grading out flours Mm. and you're searing the outside and not cutting the pizza because if i went to a high-end steakhouse would they serve the the steak cut you would never have a steak cut as it's served to you because you're preserving the the natural heat and and airiness and the juices of the of the steak same concept with the with the pizza i'm like i believe tulsa is ready for that and i believe it so much that most people when they get this that style oven will either write naples or napoli on it or they'll write the name of their pizza restaurant well we're not in naples and if you come to stg you already know where you're at so i don't need to write it on the oven 
So I wrote Tulsa on it and I thought that'll be cool. It'll show when people take a photo of this and it goes on Instagram or Pinterest or some travel log, it'll show that style of thing is being done in Tulsa. We are not still killing Indians and we, we didn't just have, you know, 80s music make it to our, to our city last week. I've lived in New York, I've lived in San Francisco, I've been all around America, and I truly do love Tulsa more than anywhere else in America, and the world for that matter. And people that don't know will say, like, why? I'm like, well, then you've not been here. Yeah. That's my biggest thing about Tulsa. It's such a kick-ass town. I've lived everywhere, and it's the only place where you can see a ton of great concerts, where the food is amazing, and there's every type of food. Uh, there's more restaurants per person here than there is in San Francisco. And when people talk about People used to look down on Austin in the 90s. I'm like, yeah, here's, that's all that you love about Austin, except without traffic and uh, crappiness is what Tulsa is. Yeah. What Austin is to Dallas, we are to Oklahoma City. Galleries, uh, so many cool bars, people that all, in the very David versus Goliath sort of way, there's that Malcolm Gladwell book that says, you know, David was, did have the advantage because everyone underestimated him. So because of his ingenuity, he always had the advantage over mm -hmm. Goliath. And that's what I look at Tulsa as. Everyone's like, oh, well, what are you? You're just Tulsa. I'm like, because that's how it's always been perceived as, we never rest on our laurels as a city. Tul uh, New York completely rests on its laurels and pizza. Most pizza in New York at this nowadays, I'm not saying all, there's a lot of pizza. I love New York. I go to New York to try out pizza places. But per capita, most of it sucks. Yeah. Or isn't trying, or is still using canned mushrooms because it's like we're we're New York. What do you want? We're we're perfect. I'm like you're not. You're you're resting, and Tulsa is not resting. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I love. I, I think I love Tulsa a lot because it's it's more. Um, I, I think like with big bigger cities, like it's hard because there's there's a lot like you get overwhelmed with. Like mm -hmm. you could have a thousand like pizzerias. You could have a thousand like coffee shops or local shops any anything that's that that's product wise but like Tulsa it's like you could start here and be um be be present here mm -hmm. and like that's what that that's what that's what I've started to love like about Tulsa is like you get personal with the people and actually make community more where outside of a city it's it's really difficult like in a bigger city like that the big cities are, I mean, even Brooklyn now, it's hard to open a business, but certainly no up-and-coming chef can open a restaurant in New York. It's impossible. There's no way. And then just no up-and-coming anything could open in San Francisco or New York because a liquor license costs $250,000. Wow. Along with the living expense and everything else, you you cannot survive. In Tulsa, you, can, you could build up a cool coffee roaster and develop your brand and get your feet wet and then move forward and there's much more propensity to have creativity be it culinarily be it music be it whatever that there isn't present in other places and then the demo that wants it yeah there's a lot of people who still are behind the times but that's going to exist everywhere people think that oh you know there's yokels in Tulsa who won't get it I'm like there's yokels in New York City who don't get it what's a yokel a yokel will be someone who's like just someone not in on the scene yeah. or someone you know I don't want to say someone who's like a hick, but even people who have hickish redneck tendencies are <laughs> are very culinarily aware. Yeah. So then there's people who are like, oh, I don't want to drink any beer unless it's Bud or Coors. If you truly are closed off and choose to be closed off, then I can't do much for you. But 
on the I've had guys that came in. I'm like, try this beer. Tell me that's not amazing, and they'll be, oh, it's great. I I love it. What else you got? You know, uh, I I do not, for the record, look down on any type of food. I just want people when they come to Andalini's to have a new food experience. I don't have TVs because you've already watched TV with your wife, girlfriend, or kids. Just don't here, because if everyone else had no TVs, I would have TVs. Yeah. But nothing against having going home and having a, a bake at home pizza and a Coors Light. Do that because it's never lied to you. It is what it is. Yeah. It's not a saying. Oh, this is an artisan. You know, Boboli Pizza, Giuseppe made it in the back. That is not the case. It doesn't lie about what it is. As long as it's honest, I don't mind. But now when you're spending your money, it's your day off. I respect you enough to give you a unique experience that you'll you'll dig. Well, also, I never, ever, ever talk down to the customer or want anyone to believe that our menu is talking down. I don't put stuff on the menu to make it sound fancy, yeah. which I see done a lot. Like, it has, you know, the rudebla, demi-glaze, et cetera, et cetera, right. and then I get the pizza and I can't even see that topping. Yeah. It's, you know, it might say spec, which is smoked prosciutto, but we actually smoked that prosciutto, which actually complements the flavor of that item, and it was designed to do, do so. So all the food, all the menu items, I don't start with the movie poster and then write the script. We start with the script, build up something, get it some character development, have a nice ending, and then I name the script or name the movie. That's how I look at it when it comes to food items. That's awesome. That's a, that's a good perspective to have. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of you are like, we're going to name it the, the crazy, you know, blah, 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 super duper cheesy mac something pizza yeah. <laughs> and it's like now make it i'm like no how about we find an amazing let's say even our mac macaroni and cheese pizza i we made an amazing macaroni and cheese one of our staff members put it on a pizza and i was like well this would be great with a little pinch of salt and some basil and then i was eating it. i'm like if i find it cool enough to want to eat it myself mm-hmm. then i'm gonna sell it and that's what we did <laughs> yeah. you know so it was like this works i didn't want to i don't like making kitschy pizzas for the sake of it uh, like someone was like, you should do a, real, a biscuits and gravy pizza. I'm like, if we ever did and it tasted awesome, sure. But I'm not going to start with biscuits and gravy. I'll, let's make a great gravy, maybe make some sausage, but I'm not going to leave. Well, we better put biscuits on or else this doesn't work as a pizza. No. Yeah, that's funny. That is quite too funny. Um, another question I have for you. Uh, a lot of your, I believe you, you, you've talked to me about... Um, how you 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 have local um, ingredients and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Um, are most of your ingredients locally sourced, or do you get it from elsewhere? Or it's case by case. And here's what it breaks down to: that's a very popular phrase in the industry right now. Is yeah. is it local? And I have no antipathy or anger towards that, but I do think I I always ask: what is the wisest decision? For this pizza or for this for the restaurant so when it came to our flour i buy a shawnee mills flour which is local but if i open up a pizzeria tomorrow in hawaii i'm getting a finding a way to get that flour because that's the absolute perfect flour for the combination of flavors of what we do mm-hmm. that it makes it i've tried like a few different flowers that one made was the best i'm like that's the one we're going with Thank God it's local, but that's the best. Now, when it comes to our San Marzano tomatoes, those are flown in from Italy. And I also have California wow. tomatoes. Uh, there's not a, an amazing Oklahoma tomato product. Yeah. And those two companies uh, flash pack their product. So it's in the can within like an hour and a half after it's picked. 
So it's an amazing product. The people that are putting in that level of time and effort. I've seen some like local farms that'll have, oh, check out, or not even coming to us. Like we want to buy your meat and then they don't want to come and sell it. Or I try the meat and it's like all grizzle based and whatnot. And I'm like, I can't work with this. I gotta, yeah. I gotta, my, my duty is to the customer to make the best food possible. Um, organic when possible. But most of the time, basil is so erratic I found scissor tail farms that makes amazing basil, so we try and buy from them, but they're basically doing it in a hydroponic way, which means that they, they grow indoors, so it's the seasonality is a non-issue. And I'll buy from scissor tail all day because they're doing an amazing job. But before that, if some guy was just selling basil that he was, had a farm, there's no way he can even have basil more than two months out of the year. Hmm. So, you know, we would be getting Mexican basil, we'd be getting Spanish basil. Uh, but when it comes to local we make our sausage we make our salad dressings i sell them that we like we make our ranch from buttermilk and from real ingredients and from dill and from we make our caesar dressing by actually grinding up anchovies if you didn't know that's how caesar dressing is made it's from anchovies that's how it has that tangy flavor so if you don't like anchovies and i probably don't like them either i've never really been a fan of putting it on a pizza but you probably do because that's the source of caesar dressing if that's what you love side note at the end of the day, we're all about making the best product possible as fresh as possible. And when and if local falls into that, but it doesn't get any more local than from us. On the flip side, whenever I go to a concert and I'm having a good time, and then at the end, thank you for supporting local music. I'm like, I came here because I think you're a good band. Yeah. I ain't come here out of altruism because I feel I owe you something. And I don't want anyone coming to our restaurant out of altruism. It's like, well, we should support them because they're local. Yeah. The day I suck compared to the big boy chains, stop coming to Andalini's. I don't deserve your money. Yeah. But <laughs> I plan on that day never happening. Yeah. So you can come to us because, you know, I give more of a crap about you as a customer than someone else does. So come to us not because we are for proximity reasons, but because you know the best pizzeria that you've ever been to is us and my daily goal is to make sure that people believe that by doing the stuff I do and making sure I have a staff that cares about the place. I have a clean uh, restaurant and I have a cool, awesome product. And I, I mean, I could just not make a new, another pizza and just stop and, and let that menu be there for the next decade before I would genuinely have to think about new pizzas. Mm -hmm. But we're still always coming up. Like I have a all staff meeting next week. So any member of staff could bring any idea that they've ever had to the table I'll have like around 10 ideas and then it'll be like you uh, 2 it, it will make a hundred songs and then have an album of 11 and that's kind of the way we go with our food items <laughs> and even if it starts with one thing it'll we'll add this add this add this change that change that blah 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 it'll be something completely different by the time it's done before it gets its movie title that's awesome that is awesome yeah I, I definitely have to say you guys are my favorite not because not because of what you said, but because, like, once I tried it the first time, I thought it was amazing. Not because it felt forced, but it felt genuine. Um, and, like, any time, like, my friends are over or, like, my family flies in from town, I'm just like, you got to try this place because it's pretty amazing. Not because I want to force you, but it's, uh, it's, it's so good, you know? I, I, it's, <laughs> it's nice to finally have people, like, I mean, the first five years, no, just, it was like, this place in Owasso, I'm like, yeah, I'm sure, sure, buddy. Sure. I'm sure it's great. <laughs> 
uh, it's nice to have people like it. All you know, the Catholic guilt inside me just was like, yeah, you're supposed to like it. That's why I work so hard. <laughs> it's when people are like, eh, it's okay. I'm like, what went wrong? Tell me. Tell me everything. <laughs> I need to know. I'm not angry. I just I need to know. It's like, well, you know. And then I evaluate it. I go back. I have all these meetings with staff members. Not because I love meetings. Mm-hmm. I don't. It's because communication, open, honest, directly responsible individual communication is the only way that you grow and develop. And jobs are on the line and lives are on the line. And I want my staff to, to flourish and, and to be able to raise kids off what we pay. And that only happens if we're increasing sales and being top of the hill. Because in, mo- in pizza, you're either, you're either like turn and burn, which is price cutter. And that's like CC's. Again, nothing against CC's. They do their thing. They know what they do. They are turn and burn. We make a bunch of pizza. You buy six bucks, you get your pizza. That's it. They're not trying to be culinarily on top of things. It's impossible in this day and age to fight against them. It used to be like 10 years ago when Domino's and those guys were charging 20 bucks for pizza. You could be like, oh, I'm a really good independent place and I make, you know, a decent cheese pizza and and buy it. And we're only $9.99 and doing coupons and stuff like that. When they started coming down and and showing how how truly affordable their prices are, because if they could sell you two medium pizzas for $9.99 and still hit food costs, that tells you how cheap of the product it is. It's impossible for an up-and-comer to do that. So there's no room for independents to be on the low end. You have to fight on the high end. And something I would like to say is our pizza, ready for this, is the cheapest pizza per square inch in all of Oklahoma. I will repeat that. Per square inch, our pizza is the cheapest. Now, if you go back to your math class to learn about pi r squared and volume, pi r squared is how you determine how much surface area something has. Yeah. So if I say to someone, we have a 20 inch pizza, how many 10 inch pizzas fit into that 20 inch? Most people would say 20 divided by 10, two. That would be incorrect, because of pi r squared, we know the radius of a 20 inch pizza is 10, 10 squared is 100. The radius of a 10 inch pizza is five, five squared is 25. So 100 divided by 25 is four. So if you think about how big a 10 inch pan is and how big a 20 inch pan, it would take four 10 inch pans to fit inside that 20. So if, if your turn and burn place like Mazio's ser- serves a, a, a $10 10 inch pizza, just say 10 bucks, mm-hmm. that's a, if you were to show the Andalini's 20 inch cheese, by that same math, we should be charging $40 for a cheese pizza when we charge 22. Mm-hmm. Our 20 inch uh, combination with eight different toppings loaded on the heaviest pizza in this whole state yeah. Is twenty eight bucks. If a uh, you know another place is charging, let's say, fourteen bucks for a fully loaded ten inch pizza, that would be twenty eight fifty six bucks when we're charging twenty eight inch, twenty eight wow. bucks. Or even a, a fourteen inch pizza by Pyre squared is seven squared forty nine. So forty nine divided by or hundred divided by forty nine, it's a little bit just a skosh less than half. So two fourteen inch pizzas which is this, the industry average for a large. Wow. So if you see a 15 inch, someone says, oh, this pizza is only a large or 15 inches and Andalini's largest is 28 bucks. That's really expensive. Well, by the math of it, it would be, if it was 15 bucks, it would be a $60 or it'd be a $30 pizza. If it was a $17 pizza, it would be, a, it'd be uh, somewhere in the realm of 34 bucks. Meanwhile, ours is 28 and ours are all fresh toppings, tons of them totally backbreaking labor to get to that point but it's still cheaper yeah and 
this is the cross I bear. That, that's, if you're listening, that's how long it takes to explain that mathematical quandary that I live in. <laughs> I should have never done a 20 inch pizza, but in New York there's 20 inch pizza and I wanted to be authentic. I love a big pizza that I can fold a slice. Yeah. But really we should be charging 40 bucks on average for to keep food cost in proper proportion to the industry. Hmm. And we charge significantly less. So people are like, oh, you that fancy foo-foo pizza. I'm like, first off, I'm, it's not foo-foo, we're not doing it to look down or talk down or be pretentious. I just want to make the most badass pizza possible. Yeah. And I price it as low as humanly possible while our staff can still afford to, to take home a salary. Hmm. Uh, and that's that's what we do. That's awesome. Well, I want to thank you for being on. Right on. Thank you for like taking your time out of the day to, or evening, it is, it is evening now. To, to let me interview you. Um, is there any way like people can support you? Or what are you looking for future plans wise too for Andalini's? And we're opening up Jenks. Uh, we, we have another thing that we're working on that'll that'll hopefully be announced in the next six months. I'm not at liberty to talk about it right now. That's, I know it's really covert, but okay. uh, to anyone listening, all I would say is this. Come into any restaurant. If you don't absolutely love it, I don't want you to pay for it. If you think anything could be better, feel free to email me comments at andopizza.com or mike at andopizza.com. I'm an open book. You can email me. I will talk to you. And if you, if something isn't awesome, tell us first. I guarantee you I'll make it right by you. And if you do dig us, feel free to talk about us and tell other people about us uh, and on social media and have fun with the place. All I'm saying is I want people to have fun at my place. And have fun in Tulsa. Go around. Check out other things. Be a part of the scene. Eat out. And uh, and be cosmopolitan like that. And enjoy your city. Because when someone says there's nothing to do in this town, it's just factually untrue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, there's so much to do here. <laughs> All right. Thank you for being on. Um, thank you guys for listening. And uh, go support Andalini's and eat some pizza there. Man, it's great. It's fantastic. Go get a Tim Basin, though. That's my favorite. Right on. So, and gelato. Get gelato at STG's because it's fantastic. And gelato, I'll, I'll quickly say with the difference, some people don't know, gelato is actually less fat and less calories than ice cream. It's slower churned. It's around four times denser than ice cream. So you don't need as much. Uh, and it's made with milk instead of heavy cream, so you can actually taste all the flavors as opposed to a heavy cream-based ice cream where they have to add, like, and I love ice cream, everyone does, but you have to add cookie dough because you can't taste the flavor of the ice cream as much. While, meanwhile, I can make like a pistachio and you can taste the flavor of the pistachio. Your tongue is encoded to the heavy cream. So that's what gelato is. It's a really cool thing. We imported all the, the, the equipment, learned the process, use real ingredients, that's why the mint is white because mint oil is not green mm. and the pistachios are drab olive because pistachios are not bright green either. It's a real product. It's a really cool thing and have one before you go out to the BOK or the PAC or just come in for lunch. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, you guys have a good, have a good day. Have a good evening. Have a good morning. Um, keep your day low key. <laughs>